Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So I want to take some time to talk about a variety of different topics today. But as the title suggests, I want to start off with the precious metals markets and uh, really their poor performance today. We, we see gold dropping below its key resistance, key support level uh, in this case of $1,300, where it sits right now around 1292 $1,293. Silver actually fell right around uh, currently below $15 an ounce. Now I'm going to be focusing a little bit more on the gold market today. I, I, I've explained this in the past, but I think both markets obviously are important. In fact, I'm, I'm buying silver. I'm not buying gold right now. Uh, but I think that gold for some time is going to lead the way up in the sense that once it breaks through some key uh, resistance levels, uh, silver will follow along the way. But then once it's broken some key resistance levels, I'm talking, uh, you know, 1350, 1360, 1400, then we'll see silver, I think, outpace gold pretty significantly. Uh, so that's why I'm kind of focusing on gold a little bit more. But but to put this chart in, in perspective, um, we're still quite a bit above where we were in the lows from uh, late 2018 in November. Uh, I think gold actually might have gone slightly lower um, earlier. Uh, this would have been in August that that gold actually bottomed out uh, at around 11 in the 1170 range. Um, so still quite a bit of a move up since then. However, it certainly has been stalling out, right? It, it stalled out here in, in the early part of the year, moved up, actually moved, uh, most in some Fed news, um, up to right around that key resistance level, just shy of 1350. But since then, it's been down and, and kind of just sideways. So what's next for the gold market? Well, I, I kind of, I'm not a huge technical guy, but I'll, I'll touch on the technicals first. And, and I'm not going to go into any of the, like the Fibonacci type stuff. I'm just not the type of person for that. This is the best I can do, guys, right here. <laughs> okay, so what I'm showing you is, is just a, what, six months chart or not even maybe, uh, let's see here, six months. Yeah, so even less than that. So basically, these are three levels I'm watching right now. First of all, I'm watching this kind of long-term uptrend line from the middle of November. That's when I'm kind of marking the turnaround point. Now, yes, technically, we can go further back. Uh, to again, like whenever it bottomed out uh, in middle of August. Um, but rather, I'm just using this line right here because that's when kind of silver bottomed out as well. And we've seen them trend up pretty steadily since then. So uh, that's a line to watch. And, and again, if we're going to zoom in on, you know, what that looks like right now, um, that's a line that's, you know, not all that far below what it's at right now. Sorry, I can't show it super well in that chart. But basically, we're talking... Uh, you know, about five bucks below where it is right now. The other line, of, and that may may not be significant, but it's something to keep an eye on. Um, another one that to to watch would be the uh, kind of support level that we've seen here around twelve eighty. Um, we kind of saw it bounce off that in the middle of March, towards the beginning of March. We saw it at the beginning of the year. 
Uh, that would be another one to watch. If it breaks through that, that could signal a downward move. And then this, the the resistance. Uh, I think we're looking at you know thirteen twenty five. If we can you know sustain levels above thirteen twenty five, not just thirteen hundred. Thirteen hundred is kind of the key level right here in the middle. Uh, but if you can sustain above thirteen twenty five, maybe thirteen thirty, that's obviously positive. And then it's you know thirteen fifty, thirteen sixty, and fourteen hundred, and we're off to the races. So <coughs> uh, technicals wise, the only other I guess thing that that i could offer maybe is is maybe some resemblance that this bears to a bit of a uh, what you'd call like a head and shoulders pattern right shoulder uh, head kind of shoulder and so again you know if it sinks below this shoulder here again around that 1280 level that would be a negative sign so that's my technical talk right real real technical uh but looking at the fundamentals well, there's there's two other kind of fundamentals that I'm looking at right now. First of all, is is economic uh, weakness and, and monetary policy. I, I I think that despite a bit of recent uh, pivoting from the Fed uh, towards uh, hawkishness, I won't even call it hawkishness, but less dovishness. Uh, that, I think that's been part of the reason that they've been subdued. But despite that, I, I still think they're moving in this dovish direction, right? Just like markets don't move in a, a straight line, Fed policy doesn't either. It, it moves up and down along the way. But the overall trend, I think, is certainly in the dovish direction. And so, you know, <clears throat> when does their, their next dovish pivot uh, happen? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's till the middle of summer at this point, maybe early fall. Uh, I think it's September that they, they end their quantitative easing. So that's kind of a, a, a point in time that I'm looking for uh, uh, more dovishness out of the Fed and also economic weakness. Not to say that we won't see it over the summer, um, but, uh, you know, it's there, there's so many potential uh, causes of of an economic downturn, uh, uh, and it's hard to pinpoint exactly which one will ultimately prick all of these different bubbles out there. But um, I, I certainly would say that that in terms of of long term outlook, the the global economy is not on the upswing, and 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 the ceiling in terms of economic growth or recovery from where it is right now is is very slim. I think even the year the the, the days of of two thousand eighteen, the relatively strong economic growth in the United States, it's behind us. And 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 forward, it's it's going to be stagnation or ultimately a recession. It's just how long can central banks, governments, uh, etc., try and, and and stave off the inevitable? And I don't think it's a whole lot longer. I, I still think you know by the by the second half of 2019, especially the fall time, um, I think the equity markets as well as uh, the the economy is is really going to be rolling over uh, again uh, for like the the fifteenth time um, and, and and again I mean like in the past I mean something can come in and save the day whether it's it's uh, Chinese credit creation or it's it's uh, the the ECB with with a new easing policy um, the U S government with some sort of fiscal policy uh, but it's it's again they're trying to save off the inevitable. They're not going to be able to. The other thing I want to talk about in terms of silver and gold. <clears throat> oh, the, the other, uh, yeah, technical seasonal type thing that I want to talk about was the seasonality of the metals. Now, I would say maybe for the next month, they do have some some bullish uh, maybe bias. Uh, but but beyond that, it doesn't extend too much further into the summer. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, but, you know, another thing to keep in mind is that if this is a bull market, and and if silver and gold are making their their big move up 
on on the back of dollar weakness, economic weakness, etc. You know, I think seasonality is going to matter less, especially the negative seasonality piece of things like the summer. It's just a question of is this it or not. You know, for me personally, it's you know, it's this is a buying opportunity, certainly for silver. Uh, going back to the price of silver around fifteen bucks an ounce. Uh, I, I'm fine with this, but I know that many people are, are waiting for it to go up. Um, another thing uh, in terms of silver and gold is is their relative value to each other. Not so much, again, talking about how, you know, well, <laughs> gold is only mined or silver is only mined at a 9 to 1 ratio compared to gold. Therefore, it should be a 9 to 1 ratio. I'm just saying that historically speaking, when we have bear markets, gold outperform silver even if they're both moving down silver underperforms to a greater extent and when it's in a bull market silver outperforms and so you know north of 86 to 1 i mean that's about the extent of of what we've seen in terms of of this uh uh, gold to silver ratio topping out i mean it's pretty close to its high in that 86 range i don't think it's top 87 to 1 yet and so i mean this is you know is this as good as it gets well i mean on a dollar basis that was probably back in the second half of 2018. I still don't think we're going to test those lows. Even if, I should add, even if gold does roll over, I still don't think we're testing these lows. I think maybe uh, a retest of 1250 would be in, in, in uh, the cards, I guess. But but beyond that, I'm not all that bearish. Uh, uh, I, again, I think that the bottoms were in in the second half of 2018. So... Moving on, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's been a rough day in, in the metals markets. It's also been a rough day for uh, supporters of, of Julian Assange. Now, I wouldn't call myself like the most fervent supporter of him. I've, I've followed him over the years. I remember, uh, what was it? I want to say it was WikiLeaks back when I was in high school. I'm not that old, guys. Uh, back when I was in high school, I remember looking it up and I remember seeing uh, footage. It was uh, early on some footage that they had leaked of... Uh, I want to say it was it was footage from a, a Blackhawk helicopter or or Apache helicopter. I forget um, in Iraq, I believe, and it was it was uh, well, it wasn't pretty. It, it, it um, showed some maybe poor judgment on, on the behalf of the the uh, people in the helicopter, and <clears throat> that was kind of my, my early introduction to Wiki, WikiLeaks, and, and, and I kind of ignored them for a long time. But, you know, over the years, I've kind of understand more about what Julian Assange is about and then kind of what he stands for, as long as other, uh, as well as other people uh, that that have kind of joined a similar movement, whether it's Edward uh, Snowden and, and his work regarding the NSA, or uh, Chelsea slash, what is it, Bradley Manning, or I forget what his her first name used to be, but uh, their support, uh, or their, their you know, sourcing this material to Julian Assange in the first place, uh, a big supporter of it. Now, now I get it, hacking, right, or, or, or disclosing information that they're not supposed to be uh, disclosing. People call it treasonous or whatever, but, but it's not so much, you know, it's not like, it, now, now, the, the argument that some people would say is that you're, you're putting the lives of our armed services or the people that serve in the government at risk because of these leaked documents or, or whatever, or that you're, you're putting our national security at risk because of, of, you know, again, leaked documents. But it's nobody would really care, I, I don't think, or support these guys a whole lot if what they were leaking was like just U.S. troop positions or something like that. Uh, the only people supporting them would be, you know, our our geopolitical enemies right and 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 obviously that would be a threat but but no it wasn't you know if you look at what edward snowden did or what julian assange and manning had had leaked um it wasn't you know 
that type of stuff. It was it was stuff that the U.S. government didn't want to get out, right? There's a reason that they have so uh, uh, desperately pursued Julian Assange for so many years. It, it relates to what they were leaking, and and you know I even heard uh, uh, Ron Paul and and what was it? Um, <clears throat> I forget the guy that he has on his YouTube channel. Subscribe to him. Ron Paul. Yes, Ron Paul has a YouTube channel. And he puts out videos like every weekday or something like that. Uh, and and um, what is it? He has got Chris Rosini. I forget the other guy. Daniel something maybe. I don't know. But but they were talking about this, and 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 you know, Ron was basically saying, you know, it's 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 a tyranny. Uh, it's tyrannical government when you're not able to to expose things that your government is doing that are illegal or otherwise just bad people maybe they're technically not illegal because the state itself is choosing what is and isn't illegal but if you can't expose them if you can't talk badly about what they're doing then you know that's that's tyranny and and i think that's kind of what they're doing right here and and and, i mean this is this is disappointing now i will add i want to add two things to to the conversation regarding julian assange wikileaks etc first of all it's this article right here now, <clears throat> to give you guys some background, uh, since 2010, Julian Assange, uh, was it 2010, 2012, I forget, he had been in the Ecuadorian uh, embassy in in London. Um, he had uh, sought asylum there, uh, reportedly, you know, jumping bail in the UK. Um, you know, at some point, you, you can't blame him if you, if you believe that the whole UK, US, you know, Western system is out to get you. And, and you find someone to to who is sympathetic to your cause. In this case, it was Ecuador, um, and and their former uh, uh, president or their former leader. I, I forget his name. Uh, Correa, I think. Now they have a new leader now. Uh, uh, Moreno has been in office since 2017. Um, slowly, is kind of moving in this direction of of ultimately doing this, uh, revoking his asylum revoking Julian Assange's asylum. But this is kind of an interesting, this is from Reuters all the way back from February 20th of this year. So not that long ago, Ecuador Inc.'s $4.2 billion financing deal with IMF. So basically, Ecuador had reached a, a you know a loan. They, they received a loan from the IMF in addition to $6 billion in loans from the World Bank, the Inter-American Development Bank, and the CAF Indian Development Bank. Okay, so that's over ten billion dollars, which is a big deal for for an economy like uh, like Ecuador. Now, you know, IMF loans and these other loans from these multilateral institutions, as this article calls them, we, we we've seen this before. We've seen this in European institutions. We've seen this in South American institutions, Argentina, etc. These IMF loans, they, you know, they're, they're on the path towards. You know, becoming in servitude to to the IMF more or less, or to the system, to central banks, etc. And this is by no means a good chance, a good choice by by the Ecuadorian government. But but all that aside, um, I, I think that the coincidence of of this happening, well, it's not a coincidence of of this IMF deal being put in place. Uh, you know, a mere two or three months prior to. The release of Julian Assange. And again, Assange has been there for years and he's just very recently being released. So a sad day for Julian Assange and for WikiLeaks. You know, the other thing I wanted to say about this was that, you know, if people that have been following this for a while, now I forget exactly what the timeline was on this, but but some time ago there had been some threats or some some rumors, I guess, that I want to say it was that Julian Assange was going to be released or, or kicked out or that he was... um 
maybe it was assassination. Maybe it was the internet cut off. Although the internet was cut off there for quite some time. Basically back then, you know, Julian Assange or WikiLeaks, maybe it's both of them. They, they had released a series of very cryptic tweets and, and people were kind of scrambling to figure out what, what was going on there. And, uh, I think a lot of people came to the conclusion that that this was Julian Assange's way of saying, you know, I, I have sort of a, uh, a a system in place in which I, if if I or somebody at WikiLeaks isn't there to you know enter a code every twenty four hours, I don't know. This is just an example that something important will be leaked, and so you know, again, <clears throat> somebody actually had commented about this uh, article right here, or about this IMF deal. Um, you know, we're talking a deal worth over $10 billion. Just how much information does this guy have that is worth potentially $10 billion? And, you know, there's that potential that I'm talking about here that, you know, if he is detained, which he, he is detained right now, um, you know, is there something in place in which WikiLeaks plans to, to do they have leverage over, you know, those that are trying to, to uh, silence them? leaked documents, whatever they might be. I mean, they, there's a whole host of things that they may or may not hold uh, information on. But but it'll be interesting to see how this plays off, plays out, as well as, you know, uh, how, how Trump handles it. Um, and, and public outcry here in the United States, I think this is hardly a, a partisan issue. I think this is very much bipartisan. Heck, even we saw, we saw the ACLU come out in support of, of Julian Assange. You know, ACLU is maybe not my favorite organization, but sometimes they, they get things right. And, and even them, you know, they're talking about the the threat that this poses to, to uh, freedom of, of press basically. But, but anyways, moving on, I want also to talk about uh, this news article from Politico. Uh, uh, Larry, no recession in sight. Kudlow is now talking about how the fed may not hike interest rates in my lifetime. Now, Larry Kudlow's obviously not a, a very youthful man, so who knows how we're ta- how long we're talking here. You know, similar. I think this is in Zero Hedge. I pointed out it's not all unlike the uh, the Janet Yellen prediction of of I don't foresee another financial crisis in my lifetime. Like <coughs> famous last words, basically. But uh, Larry Kudlow here is talking about um, again, kind of this this dovish Larry Kudlow trying to pressure the Fed. Um, and I wonder, you know, just how much he's going against his own, his own integrity, his own feelings on the issue in support of Trump. And, and at what point do we question, you know, was he sincere in the first place in terms of his trade policy or his view on the Fed or whatever prior to becoming a part of the, the Trump administration? Um, you know, if he's able to to kind of switch direction so quickly and, and kind of really become a cheerleader uh, at all costs for for the Trump administration and for the U.S. economy, um, really kind of disappointing, I guess. But again, you know, they may not raise interest rates again in my lifetime. Now, I, I really have to disagree with him. Like when he said uh, last year, and I think maybe even this year, where he says, you know, no recession in sight. Got to disagree with that. But when he says, you know, the Fed may may never raise rates again in my lifetime, you know, seventy one years old, that very well may be the case. Another nine years, nineteen years, twenty nine years, however long he's living, that may be the case, unless <clears throat> they have to raise interest rates in a last ditch effort to try and, and save what's left of the dollar. Um, you know, that's akin to what you know, like a, a Turkish central bank or Argentine central bank would have to do to defend their currency. You know, I guess it was Argentina that more so employed that in, in the second half of 2018. Uh, I don't know if Turkey ever actually did really raise their rates. Um, but, 
but other than that, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the overall trend here is is lower and lower rates at the peaks, at the troughs. Uh, overall, for the last um, dating back to the '80s, it's lower rates at the Treasury level and it's lower rates at the Federal Reserve level. This time around, we're only getting them up to to you know two two and a quarter to two and a half percentage points at the Fed funds rate. Uh, next time around, we may not be able to move them off of zero, right? A similar position is to to where where the European Central Bank or or the Bank of Japan is is in right now, uh, uh, coming up on another recession, having not really raised interest rates at all. So he may be right on this one, but but certainly we're looking long term here. So uh, the final thing I want to talk about again, if you haven't noticed, a bit of a, a I guess a, a libertarian spin on today's episode. I feel like maybe most of them do have that, but uh, this is from San Francisco Chronicle. Maybe some of you guys have been following this, but for those of you that haven't, or maybe you have, maybe you live in California. For one week, high capacity ammunition, I should you know amend this to, to regular capacity or standard capacity ammunition magazines were illegal in California. Hundreds of thousands of may have been sold. So I saw this and this was, this was really shocking to me. This was, uh, what, back in uh, the second half of March, Basically, what happened is that there was this challenge of this uh, um, prohibition on, on quote-unquote, high-capacity magazines. I mean, anything that can hold over uh, 10 rounds, I think it is, in California. Something that's been in place for, like, 20 years. Now, the way that it works is I think it's a you know ban on the sale, ban on the purchase for, for private citizens. But I think you can legally own them. And, and, of course, you know, to add to this, there's bans on, I think, uh, the purchase and sale of, of a whole host of, of uh Rifles, right? The California compliant rifles and handguns, etc. Shotguns, probably as well. But, but, uh, so this is like a 20 year ban. But what happened is that San Diego Judge Roger Benitez, um, basically said the sales ban violated the Second Amendment. Um, I think he might have part of his ruling down here at some point. Uh, they're talking about, you know, all the times in which, um, shooters had used these extra rounds in order to basically kill more people we're, we're talking you know mass shooters or something like that uh but but you know where is it i want to find it down here benitez you know okay so it says here the man who shot and severely wounded uh representative uh gabrielle giffords in 2011 in tucson while killing six others was stopped after he spent his 33 round magazine and tried to reload a nine-year-old girl's reportedly shot to death by the gunman's 13th bullet. So trying to pull in our, our heartstrings here. Judge Benitez, though, began his court order listing examples of crime victims who ran out of bullets while encountering suspects. Quote, if a law-abiding responsible citizen in California decides that a handgun or rifle with a magazine larger than 10 rounds is the best choice for defending her hearth and home, I think he used the example of a woman that was uh, had run out of rounds to defend herself, he asked, may the state deny the choice, declare the magazine a nuisance, and jail a citizen for the crime of possession? A very libertarian-sounding Benitez here. Now, what happened is that he, um, I, I want to say it was he himself that actually put a, uh, what a, a stay on the, the um, reversal of it, or he, he reversed his reversal of the ban, basically. And, and said, you know, I think it's Friday the 31st or something like that. Uh, I'll have to find the day here. You could no longer buy these these magazines. But in the meantime, you had a whole host of, of, of dealers that were shipping them, you know, by probably by the semi-load into to California for this one week in which people could legally buy these magazines. As this article points out, I mean, California, what I think the most populous state in the United States, 
Uh, we're talking potentially hundreds of thousands, if not millions, made their ways into the hands of state re- residents. Uh, <laughs> hailed as Freedom Week by the California Rifle and Pistol Association. In fact, I saw this meme, um, and it was uh, uh, it, it was it was supposed to be talking about like love or something. Don't be um, don't be upset that uh, it ended. Just be happy that it lasted as long as it did, or something like that. And and then below it had like California Freedom Week or whatever, and they had the dates on there. Uh, I thought that was pretty hilarious the way they put it. But uh, <laughs> gun control um, advocates were just kind of, I think, fuming at this. You know, supporters of California's gun laws, though, are cringing at what they called the partial undoing of two decades of work over seven days. Now, I mean, this whole idea. Okay, first of all, not a high capacity magazine. I mean, this is what the military uses. These rifles are similar to what the military uses. 30 magazines is standard for the AR-15, for the AK-47, for the AK-74. Uh, I think the, the FAL and, and, and the, what was it, uh, G3, uh, the H&K G3, uh, 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 I think that's what was the model. I think those are 308, so they were, you know, 20-round magazines. Um, you know, you, you, you look at uh, Chinese uh, assault rifles, 30-round magazines or something similar to that. Um, same thing goes for, for many other, you know, similar assault rifle patterns. The Israeli Tavor, 30-round magazine. The, the um, AUG, uh, Steyer AUG. 30-round magazine. And I don't even think that's standard, you know, NATO magazine. So they're using their own magazine in that case. Still 30 rounds. You look at the the British uh, assault rifle. I'm for, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head. The, the bullpup rifle. 30-round magazine. The German, 30-round magazine. The French, you know, I think it's 30-round mag. You know, most of these, I might not be correct. Some of them might be 25, 40, 20, etc. But that's the case. Handguns. You look at the U.S. M9, it's a, what, 15-round magazine. The new P320, I think a 16 or 17-round magazine. You look at the, uh, you know, for the most part, handguns are over 10 rounds as well, unless we're talking about a small, compact, easily concealable handgun or or something like a 1911, which may be below that, right? And so these aren't high-capacity. These are standard-capacity magazines. Um, you know, the other flaw in this is, is the idea that, you know, California is a huge state, and there's no way to control the transport of these magazines into the state. I mean, literally, you can live on the border and you can go into just about every surrounding state, buy a whole caseload of these magazines and bring them back into the state. And the government most likely would not know, right? Uh, and, 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 you know, some would say that the answer is to, to ban them nationwide. Well, first of all, there's likely millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of these, just like there are, you know, I think over 300 million firearms in the United States privately held by citizens. Uh, there's, there's, you know, hundreds of millions of these magazines in the United States. And then you add to that the fact that technology today allows people that, you know, never mind if there's a vendor out there, people can make these with 3D printers, with, with springs, simple springs and 3D printers would likely be able to construct a 30 round magazine. I mean, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous law. Um, and, and as we all know, I mean, and I know I sound like just the, the typical, you know, gun rights supporter here, but as we all know, uh, you know, criminals don't follow laws. I mean, you look at a, 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 a nation, you know, south of our border, Mexico, in which, you know, gun ownership is largely restricted for the average person, certainly gun purchasing and whatnot. And who is it that, that um, 
carries most of the firearms in the country. You have the government, you have the, the police, the military, etc. And then you have uh, the gangs, the, the thugs, the criminals. Right? And, and, and what do you see in, in Mexico? You see a, a very large uh, murder rate. Now, yeah, in a perfect, uh, you know, ideal uh, uh, utopian world, nobody would need guns and nobody would ever want to hurt each other. But that's not the world we live in, right? Just like, you know, if, if Russia, this is a poor comparison, okay? But if Russia has nukes, if China has nukes, then the U.S. is going to want nukes as well. If they have, uh, uh, you know, heavy bombers, if they have strategic bombers, we're going to want that as well, right? I mean, it's 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 not... Rocket science. I mean, this is we're just talking about you know basic human rights here to defend yourself, right? Um, I think it's clear in the case of Mexico that the state is incapable of defending their own citizens for the most part. Um, I I can tell you one thing that I would likely be un- incapable of defending myself uh, against a, a criminal that had a you know superior weapon to my own. Um, so I mean it's 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 you know I, I know I'm just going on a rant here now like most of my videos about gun control and not even <laughs> precious metals but yeah I want to get this off my chest that that this was a a happy um, story here to, to end on the day they get a whole week now again the the ban went back in place but I, I want to say that this may be something that Benitez this may be a bit of a strategic play by him to uh, hopefully. Get this get this law overturned for good. Now, long term here, if he gets it overturned for good, um, that's great. That's that's a win for for gun owners in California. That's a win for gun owners across the country. But looking long term here, uh, I, I think that these types of gun laws are going to become more and more common. <clears throat> and 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 you know, I think even the Republican Party. Uh, their support is is slowly waning for these these uh, uh you know stopping these types of laws going into place don't get me wrong there's a lot of of patriots on on the right side of politics and the republican side in terms of the second amendment but they're slowly moving in that direction and more importantly i think that the left is is going to be on the rise in the next couple of years here in terms of the 2020 election and beyond and you know I, I just don't see it ending well. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we're sitting here two years in the future, April of 2021, and we have a Democratic White House House and Senate, and then they're going to get whatever they want to get done. Potentially. You know, maybe not. I, you know, Democrats very well may want to use this as a, as a, uh, a way to get votes in the future, right? <clears throat> just like Republicans oftentimes use this as a way to get votes as well. Not to say that they don't believe in what they're, they're voting for, but I think both parties have been guilty of that in the past, not necessarily trying to pass their agenda so they can then use it as part of their agenda during the next election. So we'll see, but I, I think we're certainly trending in the direction of, of greater and greater control of, of the, the ownership of, of, of firearms, the, the right to bear arms and uh I think that's only going to push us closer and closer to the brink of, of some major societal breakdown here in the United States. Because there, believe me, 300 plus million guns likely here in the United States. We're talking, you know, at least 50 million gun owners, strong supporters of the Second Amendment, at least that are strong supporters, not just people that go, you know, duck hunting on the weekend or something like that. And and even just a fraction of those that are real fervent and willing to fight for it, uh, we're, 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 
we're talking about a, a pretty significant resistance to to this type of movement. So we'll see where this goes in the future. Um, as always, you know, <laughs> I'm going way off track here. If you have ideas for future videos, future topics, let me know down below in the comment section. But as always, I'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listen to, listening to this podcast, and God bless.